we're going to start a series, and uh, we're going to talk about fear, and we're going to talk about having the right kind of fear, and we're going to talk about this probably for a couple times after the first of the year, I assume, but there is something uh, to be said about fearing, and uh, fearing the right way. You know, we're in the the big baking season or ending, you know, how, you know, I remember going to my grandmother's, you know, for, for Christmas or Thanksgiving, but either one, there was a lot of baking that went on. A lot of things were baked and, you know, it just seemed like that was the time of year that people baked cookies, gave them to neighbors. Now, maybe we don't do that as much today. We buy cookies and somebody else does the baking, but there's one thing about baking that is huge you need the right ingredients. That seems so fundamental. But if you don't have the right things, you could uh, constantly not do things right. You with me? We totally come to the place where if we go to the store and we buy something, we expect it's going to taste a certain way. And because it has the right ingredients in it and it's done right. And Christianity... Um, has to be done right. You with me? And everybody has to have the right ingredients in their Christianity or uh, it won't be right. And so when we talk about fear, we've probably heard lots of sermons about how to get rid of fear, right? Don't fear, you know. Peter feared when he was, saw the storms, he got all afraid. Don't, don't fear, right? And you know, we're going to go up and take the land. And the Lord said, fear not. And you just saw the, and God has not given us the spirit of fear. But is that all there is to fear? Or is there a side to fear where we are supposed to have fear? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. But is it the same kind of fear? Because when angels would come, and appear, and we know the Christmas story, you know, or what we talk about, call it the Christmas story, but the story of the coming of Christ, there were, there were shepherds in Luke 2 who were in this field, and they lived there, and they worked there, and some angels came and appeared to them, and uh, they were afraid. And the angels said, fear not. And then all of a sudden, a bunch more angels appeared, and it said they had joy at what they heard, but then what they heard, it said then they took off to go see what was told them. Well, they were told not to fear, but again and again, we're supposed to fear. That makes no sense. If I'm not supposed to fear... But we're to fear how, how, I don't get this. Of course not. But we can from the Bible. And, and there are different meanings to fear. One kind of fear, when the angels would come or the Lord would appear, he say, he'd say, fear not. Well, that kind of fear is a fear that literally tends toward running or fleeing. It's like a paranoia. Ugh. But then there are other kinds of fear that we are supposed to have, and I wasn't going to read uh, 
I don't know if I'm going to read it, uh, from Romans, but I talked about it the other night. It says that the fear or that the world uh, lives a certain way. They cuss, they carry on, they, they do all kinds of things, and they don't act right. It said because there is no fear of God before their eyes. But Christians have to uh, have a fear of God before their eyes too. What does it mean to have a fear of God or not have a fear of God before your eyes? It literally means that's how you process life. And when we talk about this kind of fear and some people didn't have it and it caused them to live a certain way and other people did have it and it caused them to live completely a different way. If you look in the Bible, people who gain wisdom from God, knowledge from God, and certain things from God, it talks about fear produces that, this good kind of fear. You with me? But then there is a kind of fear that has torment. And, and so there are two different types, and there is one from, that we want to develop in, and it literally means just a super reverential awe because you recognize really just how powerful and how something really is, meaning God, in a profound way. Meaning this, most people here did not fear their electricity this morning. And most of us here worked with electricity to get ready for church to start your car, there was electrical current, you know, to have your refrigerator running, to turn on your light, your blow dryer, anything that you used, your curling iron, whatever it was, the light in your bedroom, electricity flowed. And you had no fear, no real awe of it. Are we grateful for it? Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe we take it for granted. And you know, some things in the Lord, people just take for granted. Got my sins forgiven. You know, it's all available whenever you want it. But if you went to a third world country where they had no electricity and you put electricity into their house, they would be grateful for turning on a light switch. And they don't even got a toilet. They would be like, this is so, they'd be so thankful for that little thing because they don't got a refrigerator they don't have other things and so we should recognize that there is an electrical flow we should be thankful for the little right but there should be an element of awe or respect too you with me because have you ever unplugged something and just reached up and reached around those metal prongs in the wall and just thought I'll just grab right there no deep down there's a respect a high regard for its power but do you know if you went to the source you'd you'd have and were around like a substation or a place where the power was being produced you would have greater fear not just trembling, you'd have respect because you would see just how powerful 
this electricity is. You know, the Bible said this, the visible things show us the invisible. There are things we could learn from the invisible or about the invisible from the visible. That, and one thing is, is that we can harness the power of water. We can drink it and it just blesses us and you can't live without it. But you've got to be careful in a huge river. If you've ever been, not like the Salt River up here, because you see it and think, let's float in there. There are rivers you would think, there's no way I'm getting in there to float. There's just so much power. You know what I mean? When they're really flowing, I mean, nobody's getting in. And you get respectful because there, it's not that you're paranoid. You just respect its ability. And there's just certain things you would do and would not do. What's interesting is, is Jesus lived a life full of this kind of fear. And it produced wonderful things in him. Turn with me to Isaiah, the 11th chapter. And so godly fear is really just a high respect, a reverence. I mean, it is like a fear, but not like a timidity, like I got to run. You with me? And people's lives will truly change if they have this fear. The reason why people act against God, they don't fear him. They really don't. When people don't obey God, they are, they are losing their godly fear. When they don't respond to what he says, they, their godly fear is diminishing. In other words, should all Christians have godly fear? Yeah, because of what it adds to you, what it does for you, what it will do to you and in you. Notice this in Isaiah, in the Old Testament. Isaiah is a book of prophecies, a lot of prophecies, and there's also information, but it's foretelling many times, and this is going to foretell the coming of the Lord and how he would be and how he would live his life. Now, understand this. Godly fear can be decreased in a person, can be increased in a person, can be developed in a person through various means. You, you can quench godly fear by constantly just being disobedient to God and not doing as you know to do, then what happens is you don't revere him and respect him as who he really is. In other words, you'll start losing sight. Now, everybody will have this kind of sight when the world ends because everybody will stand before the Lord. And everybody who dies has this, whether they're in heaven or they're in hell. They've got this. Because they see for reality what is. But what happens is when people lose a godly fear, it's because they don't see him really for who he is. But he really is who he is 
regardless if you see him that way or not. Period. Whether you see or I see him for who he is, he is that. He's more powerful than a nuclear plant. I mean, he's more powerful than an ocean, anything. He created it. And when I start pushing away and go, nah, I'm not going to do that, I start squelching this. What it does is it closes the door to how he can do things in my life. Because fear, the Bible said, this kind of fear is the beginning of wisdom. It says the fear of the Lord causes one or is to depart from sin. Isn't it interesting that verse there in Romans says that people who have no fear of God before their eyes sin readily. And people who have a fear of God before their eyes don't fear. I mean, don't sin or depart from it. It's not a perfection thing, but it definitely would drive people if they feared God. You know, we shared briefly the other day in Acts 9 a story in prayer about Paul, who was mightily used of God in the New Testament, but he hated God's people. He hated the church. He persecuted the church. And one day he was on his way to kill some Christians and put them in jail. And a great light shone around him. And when this light shone around him, he fell to the ground. All the people with him fell to the ground. And the Lord appeared to him and spoke to him. And he was struck blind for three days. And the Lord told him, you've got to go this way with your life. And you know what's so wild is Paul's life immediately changed right there. Why? He got the fear of God. People who are flippant about God and his stuff don't have the fear of God. Or it's hardly developed. But there are some people who will stand around the same people doing the wrong things and say, I will not participate in that. Because they have a real reverence for who God really is. And though life seems long, it's short. We know it's short, but at the same time, doesn't one day seem long? I was thinking about this week. I was like, This week has been long, but it hasn't compared to eternity and the day when we stand before the Lord. The Bible says when certain people in 1 Peter lose certain qualities in their life, and one of them is this kind of reverence and respect and godly fear, it said they become short-sighted even to blindness. And they'll start to forget that they're clean from living wrong and from living a sinful life. But it says you can add these things to your life. But it says these can diminish in your life. So it's super important. Remember I gave that little baking illustration to make sure you have all the ingredients? Because some ingredients are more important than others. Would you agree if you're going to make pancakes, flour is probably one of the most important ingredients in pancakes? Because if you don't put the flour and you have one egg, then you got an egg. And you're going to try to have pancakes. I mean, think about it. It, If you're going to have French toast, one of the greatest needs is toast. 
I mean, I know these things seem pretty profound and deep, but did Jesus function apart from a godly fear, a high regard? This is an inward thing that must be developed in all people. Hebrew, I'm sorry, Isaiah 11, this is a prophecy about him, but like I said with Paul, before we read this, he had an experience with the Lord. He was totally in sin against God, but religious, not obeying the Lord. One encounter, and he feared God. He feared God. What do I mean by that? He immediately changed his own lifestyle. From persecuting the church, attacking Christians, being mean, to what do you want me to do? He lost his selfish ambition. One great thing about the lack of fear of God is there's a lot of selfish ambition. When you have the fear of God, selfish ambition goes out the window and you're willing to do things regardless of what I want to do. I'm going to do what God wants. And Paul, I mean, in a snap of a finger, changed. And I said this the other day, uh, and we'll go into that story maybe another time because there's a bunch in there. He was struck blind for three days because when he saw the Lord, and he waited for somebody to come to pray for him. And he wasn't freaking out going, what am I going to do? I'm blind. I can't see right now. And he wasn't freaking out. He had lost all selfish ambition. He said, all right, Lord, you've shown me somebody's going to come pray for me. And that I'm going to go to the world so this present circumstance is not going to move me. His selfish ambition disappeared when he really saw Jesus for who he was. Many people have seen a picture of Jesus, seen a movie about Jesus, heard about Jesus, but they don't know him the way they should to where they fear Jesus. And I don't mean where you're paranoid of him, but where you respect him and regard him for who he is. You with me? And it's something that shouldn't be lost sight of. You guys with me? Isaiah 11, 1 says this, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Now, this is a prophecy about David, you know, his father and David, and then, you know, King David, and how there would be a descendant through him that would be the savior of the world. You with me? And if you're the savior of the world and you're God in the flesh, why do you got to respect or have fear, a godly fear? Notice this. He would stem, come a stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots or out of, you know, we even talk about, you know, you know, they do the genealogies and they talk about the family tree and the roots, you know, and they go down, they show the roots and we're from down here. Well, that's that type of thing right here. He's saying out of his roots or out of his descendant. And that's why in the Bible, you'll see places where it'll show the descendants of Jesse and David and down the line. And then Jesus 
because he had to fulfill this prophecy. And it says, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Verse 2, the spirit of the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Well, we saw that. We knew that. But notice this, the spirit of wisdom and understanding and the spirit of counsel and of might. These things would be on him. When you read about him, aren't you blown away by the wisdom, how he responded to people, how much might and power he walked in when he lived on the earth? And it says this, the spirit of knowledge, and then notice this phrase, and of the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord. He so respected God and God's ways, it drove his whole life. Now notice, isn't it wild? He had the power of God resting on him. He had counsel and might and he had all these things. Well, then that's what we got to follow, right? That's what you follow. The very last thing it says, and he had the spirit and the, and the fear of the Lord. But notice verse 3, even though he had all this power, wisdom, knowledge, and everything, notice what he delighted in, what got his attention, what drove his life. It wasn't just the power. It wasn't just the spirit of God resting on him and wisdom and understanding and this profound counsel and ability. It said in his delight is in the fear of the Lord. He delighted not in just these things that were happening out here, but why did he delight in the fear of the Lord? Because it, it drove his whole life. It actually affected his relationship with God and how he lived. That's why he would pray and say, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you want. He so feared God, he delighted in it. Didn't it say he delights to do God's will? That was because he delighted in the fear of the Lord. This super high reverential fear. And it said, his delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. In other words, he's just not going to live by what he, uh, appears, but he's going to be looking toward God. His whole life is going to be bent that way in a real fearful way. If we could see God the way he needs to be seen, and he will reveal himself to us. But at the same time, when he does even reveal things to us in small dealings, we need to go with it. We need to respond to it. Why? Because these things will benefit you. There are tons of scriptures in the Bible that tell you what will benefit a person who possesses this godly fear. You could say this about Jesus. He had the most phenomenal life.
But if you read about Paul, who had an encounter with Jesus, he was violently arrogant. He says that writing to Timothy. He was violent. He was arrogant. He was mean. He was like a dog. But when he had an encounter with the Lord and he started fearing God, he wasn't like that anymore. His whole life radically changed. You know, you, you ever see some people who act all mean to people? Usually they act mean to people who they can intimidate, who they're bigger than, because they're a punk. They're, in, they're acting like I was going to say something like an idiot. They intimidate. They're, just get somebody twice their size, twice as mean, and they, they'll tell you how they can't control this, how I am, and you get somebody twice what they are, all of a sudden they have great self-control. It's profound. Isn't it? How they, no, it's because they reached down inside and went bigger. Stronger. Mightier. But if you lose sight of the one who is mighty, no matter where you go in God, you can get lifted up. Saul, when it said when he was small in his own sight, he was in a good place. But when he got outside of that and became the ruler, he started seeing himself as the big man. And then he got all off course. Why? He forgot there was a bigger man. He moved away from the fear of God. He didn't do the things. He started going outside of God's rules, and he knew it. And he lost the fear of God, and then junk just started entering into his life. Anybody remember the story? And how could he have had all that junk in him? Praise the Lord. We can add the fear of God. Notice this. Hebrews 5, verse 7. People need the fear of God. We need it when we come to church. Not, not to be harsh on people, but it will bring clarity to us individually. And like I said, the fear of God can be added through different ways. But, but one thing that we can all do is if we know an area, we exercise the area we know that he's dealing with us about, we obey that. But another thing is, is spending time with him, talking to him. Say, God, I want to see you like you are. I need to know you like who you really are. Religion begin, becomes hard for people because they don't really see God how he really is. So people treat people different in religion or harshness. You with me? But if we recognize, yikes, we're going to appear before God, or he could just come appear before me, whoa. You know, I, I've told this story before as you're turning to Hebrews, the fifth chapter. As I turned there, a guy I knew who had had a call of God on his life when he was a teenager and just lived wrong and ran from God and did everything he wanted to do, had gotten put in jail, arrested, burglary. He didn't start off like that. He had a genuine call of God on his life. But he just kept refusing and kept refusing and kept refusing. And he got somewhere where he never thought he would be. And now he's escaped the third time from prison 
running through Texas down to Mexico, and the Spirit of God spoke to him in an audible voice. Now, he's a hardened criminal at this time. He didn't start there. He said, I used to go to youth camps, and, and the Lord would speak to me about his calling on his life. But he got hard, and he didn't fear God. And he said that all changed one day when he was driving to Mexico. He said the Spirit of God spoke to him and said, my spirit will not always strive with man. There's a trap set by the devil. You will die if you do not turn. And he said, and he's like 6'2", he's a big guy, 6'3", somewhere in there. He said, I just peed my pants. He said, I was so afraid. It wasn't like just a paranoia. Reality hit. He had been living outside of what was real in, in falseness and lies and getting his lunch eaten and he was just being destroyed. And he literally wet his pants. He said, what do you want me to do, Lord? He said, go back and turn yourself in. I'll get you out of this. Plead guilty to all charges. And do not fight extradition. He didn't say, but wait a minute, Lord. You know, if I go back, I'll have life without the possibility of parole. How many? He lost selfish ambition. When the fear of God starts working in you and you start responding to it, selfish ambition starts going out the window. Well, what about them? Or what about this? And what about me? And what about, no, what about you, Lord? And we can grow in this. And the Lord had this and he delighted in the fear of God. And here in Hebrews 5, 7 talks about the Lord and his life. Anyway, that guy was in prison for three and a half years on a life without parole, possibility of parole, and he supernaturally got out. But he had to guard his attitude in there. He's like, Lord, I did what you said. And the Lord spoke to him again. He said, I did not get you here. You got yourself here. I told you, if you'll trust me, I'll get you out. Well, I respect you. Hallelujah. Merry Christmas. Uh, Hebrews 5, 7. Who in the days of his flesh, talking about Jesus when he lived on the earth. And remember, he's our example. When he had offered up prayers and supplications or humble requests with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Notice this phrase. He was heard. Why was he heard? Because of his godly fear, the thing he pursued. Is godly fear important? You know, godly fear is something God wants all of his people to have and possess. Not in the sense where you just are like, I'm afraid, let's run from God like Adam and Eve in the garden. But I mean a real reverential experience with him where you're just like, whoa, you are God. I will obey you. Really, when people lose their reverence, they've really lost their grip on the reality of who the Lord really, 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 really is. Or would I do what I do? Because if it really is the Lord, and we know it is, would I do what I do? 
That's a good question. This isn't to condemn anybody. The Lord knows that when you possess the right things, it brings forth the right fruit. You don't have to beat yourself up for this. There's no reason to do that because the Lord doesn't condemn us. And the Lord's not opposed to you. But if you have this inside of you, it will just govern you from the inside out. Notice this in Exodus 20, a real interesting verse of Scripture talking about the fear and the reverence of God. See, we see Jesus who's come in the flesh and we celebrate the little baby in the manger, you know, the feed trough. And oh, how pretty the little baby is, you know. It's baby Jesus. And, uh, but does that change anybody's life? Here's an interesting thing. The king back then wanted to kill him because he thought, oh, it's another king. He didn't realize this is the king eternal. So he told some different people, when you go find out where he is, you bring word back so I can go and worship him. And the angels of the Lord warned him and said, he's actually going to seek to kill him. Don't go tell him. But isn't it interesting, all those ones that had encounters, whether it was the magi, the shepherds, they saw angels who put in perspective the baby they saw. If the innkeeper had known in right perspective what was going to happen, he would not have been born in a manger. He would not have been born in a shed or in a barn. Because they would have went, whoa, whoa. But in an interesting, different people approached him different because of their awe and their knowing who he was. You with me? Exodus, the 20th chapter, and we're going to begin reading in the 18th verse. Now, this is interesting. God is introducing himself now, they've already seen miracles. They've seen wonderful things happen. They do know God by his demonstrations because they saw what it took to get them out of Egypt. They saw the Red Sea part. You know, the Red Sea parting and all the different things that were happening. They didn't say they were afraid. Matter of fact, they whined and fussed. But this day, yikes. Ready? 2018. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings. Now Moses goes up on the mountain. He is given instruction. God said, I'm going to show myself to these people so they can just see how powerful I really am. I'm just going to give them a glimpse of who I really am and so don't let them touch the mountain. Don't let them come near. If an animal comes near, they can't kill it. This is going to be a big thing. Notice, now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightnings and the flashes and the sound of a trumpet and the mountain smoking. Now this isn't a volcano. The power of God descended on this mountain. This is where Moses went up 
to receive the commandments from the Lord, and all the people were watching this. This was not a volcanic eruption. This is the glory of God being manifest. This is what appeared. Moses is up there having an encounter with God. When he comes down, his face is glowing. But what's interesting, it says, flashes of lightning, the sound of a tr the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. They trembled. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us, and we will hear you, but let not God speak to us, lest we die. They got full of that other kind of wrong fear. But what happened was now they're seeing God, so to speak, unchained. And really, he wasn't going all in. He just was doing this on a tiny little mountain so everybody could see him. And it was so powerful, they were afraid. And they said, we don't want God to talk to us. You, you, you do the talking, and you just tell us what he says. Notice this. It says, because we'll die. Remember Isaiah, when he was caught up into heaven? He had heard words from God, but when he saw how God really was, he said, woe am I, for I am undone. He was just like, ugh. But what if you see God and you're like, yeah, whatever, I wouldn't be like that. You know, I don't know if I should share this. This is not the way you do camp, youth camp, but this is something I did. So when we were, when I was a youth pastor, as I was growing in the Lord, we decided, because we had kids that would escape from their cabins, you know, when you got 200 and 300 youth, and we'd get out at night and go into the forest. So we said, if everybody stays in their cabin, we're going to go bear hunting with groups. Sound fun? So we'd bring like 25, 30 kids at a time to go look for bears. So we said, whatever you do, if you see a bear, you know, you just fall down and play dead. Which is bad advice, because we know that's wrong now, but that's what they used to teach. So we would have these kids be like, tell you what, if I saw a bear, I'd just jump up. I'd be like, I'd be like, bam, I'd just swing at him. You know, I, I'd do this. I'm not going to be afraid. So we're marching through. And as we got out into the forest, we took these groups at a time. We did this. We filmed it. And we had some people hidden out there. They'd break a branch. <laughs> and the people who were leading them, we'd go, whoa, whoa. It's cool. We're all right. And they're like, Ooh. And then when we turned the corner we had a guy in a gorilla suit that was on all four. You should have seen those guys who were so tough. Kids were getting run over because kids in the back are falling down like they're dead. Other kids are running over them. It's a true story. Because I was in the front of some of the groups and we'd turn and go, ah, and act like we were running and just stop and everybody would panic and take off running. We'd just sit there and laugh. But they had such fear. I mean, we had kids go back. We had a group of them run back all the way to a cabin, get in a stall in a bathroom, and bust the toilet off the mounts. Oh, well, we won't be afraid. 
once you really see what a grizzly bear looks like, you ain't going to go, I'm just going to punch you in the nose. No. And even with a gun, you're going to think, uh-oh. But we're talking way beyond that. And so God's showing this to them. Man, show us your glory, Lord, for our good. Notice this. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you. Notice this. Come to test you, he said, do not fear. Don't be fearful with this timidity that makes you run. He said, do not do that. He said, for God has come to test you or to try you, to work in you, and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. In other words, what he was saying is, once you see me the way you should see me, your lifestyle will change. But if you don't see me this way, and I want to help you guys, so don't be paranoid fearful, but I want this fear in your life. Isn't it interesting that God, there is a type of fear that we need that is just a super high respect or regard. In other words, when everybody else is tempting us if, and talking to us, if we have the right kind of respectful reverence in us, we're going to act a certain way. That is why many people's lives have changed. Some people have been religious because they're keeping rules. Others have had an encounter with the living God, and they're like, I don't do this because of him, not because he gave me a bunch of rules. Let's close with this verse since you guys are ready for that. 1 Peter 3. This is good stuff. It will help us. And you'd be surprised how much of this is in the Bible and how good it does, what good things it'll do for you. It'll change how you worship God, how you pray to God, because you won't be just thinking about everything else. You'll realize this is the source of all power. This is really God. It'll make your attention change. Right? TV is not the source of all power. God is. 1 Peter 3, verse 2. Notice this. When they observe your chaste or disciplined conduct accompanied by fear. Now he's talking about women who have a submission and they're trying to win their husbands. But the, the thought here is this. He talks about a disciplined lifestyle that's coupled with this kind of godly fear. What drives us? Or as the one commercial says, what's in your wallet? What's in us? This can be developed, and it'll revolutionize every person's life. You with me? 
When the Lord is here on the earth and his glory lights the day and the night, and you know, it just, there's no night actually. It's just, we'll see him. Everybody will be like, whoa. But when we don't see him physically, we need to see him. You with me? And when you truly see him, I mean see him or know him, you'll know him in a way that's like, wow. Because that's how he is. 